Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna. In today's show, we have a special guest, uh, a somewhat recurring guest, Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame quarterback, current Fox analyst. We'll talk to him a little bit about, hey, so how do you do this whole rescheduling thing uh, as the big noon kickoff has had to adapt on the fly and now Notre Dame does too? Um, some, I thought some interesting insight into Ian Book's start to the season you know, a parallel he drew to the chemistry and receivers that was important when he was at Notre Dame and also sort of how his own senior season started, uh, you know, maybe to, to offer some insight into where Book is and where Book can still go. But, look, I mean, there's no getting around it. The news around Notre Dame football is the fact that Notre Dame football is not playing this weekend after a rash of positive COVID tests and a lot of players stuck in contact tracing. Uh, we expect those numbers for positives and contact tracing to go up uh, after the results of Notre Dame's Wednesday testing comes out. Matt, you were on a call with USF coach Jeff Scott today. Their game against FAU is postponed slash canceled. Um, what was sort of your, your takeaway from that? Because it's, I mean, you look at Notre Dame, they've got their own stuff to deal with, but it certainly feels like they've created a situation for USF to deal with as well. It sure seems that way, and, and Jeff Scott took the high road. He said he does not hold Notre Dame. I, I asked the record, do you, do you, is Notre Dame responsible for you guys not playing FAU this week? And he said, I wouldn't say that. Uh, it's more of a cumulative effect because we were missing guys um, the week before Notre Dame. We're now missing guys the week after, and we're basically going to be – put the two two weeks together, we're basically down two position groups, um, at least due to contact tracing, if not positive tests. He wasn't exactly clear on – whether they had players test positive as a result of the Notre Dame game. I'm not sure there's a way to factually find that out, how it was transmitted. But um, I hate to say it. I mean, it sounds like USF this week's doing what Notre Dame didn't do last week. They're being, they're taking precautions. They're being proactive. They want to make sure they don't put FAU in a position that they now find themselves in. I, I just, uh, we can go over the numbers, you know, here shortly, but I, I just don't know how the hell this happens at Notre Dame. I, I don't. Yeah, it's. It would be one thing if this had happened when Notre Dame's campus at large was struggling with with COVID nineteen and positive tests and contact tracing. But that's, I mean, that's not the case at all. Um, you know, Notre Dame right now, they have forty eight active cases uh, for the campus at large, and roughly thirty percent of those are football players, which is really out of whack from where things should be. I mean, at a, at a place like Notre Dame, it should be fairly lockstep with um, the campus at large and the football program. should be better. They get tested yeah. more. That's true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you could make that argument too. It's When Notre Dame's campus had its outbreak in August, the football program also had a moderate spike. Those two things made sense. They fit together. Right now, Notre Dame's campus at large, you're seeing, you know, before football's outbreak, one positive test, one positive test, zero, one. I mean, the numbers were very low. They are very contained. It certainly would indicate that uh, transmission is not happening on campus uh, in terms of classrooms or academic spaces. But um, it's very difficult to square why roughly 30% of the active cases at Notre Dame are football players. It's really a question that you know either Brian Kelly or Jack Swarbrick is going to have to have to answer at some point. 
So Notre Dame had seven players out Saturday for various reasons, uh, presumably all positives or contact tracing. Uh, on Monday, they said they had four players test positive the previous Tuesday to Friday. Then six were in quarantine via contact tracing. Uh, on Tuesday, they said they had seven players test positive on the Monday after the game. It had 13 more in isolation, or excuse me, 13 total players who had tested positive were in isolation, which would have been uh, the four who tested last week, the seven who tested positive on Monday, and I believe uh, the they two clarified two more game. from the Duke game. So that's 13 uh, plus 10 more in quarantine, presumably due to contact tracing. So that's down 23 players. Um, they pause activities. Um, the dashboard today uh, shows six positive surveillance tests. Now, that doesn't mean they're all football from Wednesday. That doesn't mean they're all football players, but football players are under surveillance tests. And Correct. Uh, there's a chance they are all or at least majority football players. We don't know that, but... Um, I, I just don't know how this happens. I mean, Notre Dame, both as a football program and as a university, for, throughout much of this crazy period in American history, was held up as kind of the example of, hey, you can do it right if you follow the rules, if you do this, mm-hmm. if you do that. Um, I, I just don't know how this happens. I mean, we, we spoke so much about uh, why certain teams are going conference only, why certain teams are only traveling to these states, et cetera, et cetera. I, I never would have thought that, it would essentially be group of five teams losing game inventory due to mistakes or overlaps or oversights that happen due to power five programs. And that sure seems to be the case right now. And I, I, I just have no explanation for it. Yeah. I think that for how much time we spent on Brian Kelly's halftime speech last week about, mm-hmm. you know, I'm tired of being the nice guy and, you know, I want to shut out and we're going to score every time. I thought his post-game speech was much more revealing in hindsight because if you ha- if you haven't watched that, I would recommend that you do. Uh, Find it before they delete it. It's on NBCSports.com. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, the first thing he says, he has to remind somebody named Mike to pull up his mask. Um, you know, they're in a locker room, crowded space, tightly packed together. So that's one thing. And then he says, you know, hey, South Florida lost its long snapper today because they just found out he had to be in quarantine. I'm not sure of all the particulars of that um but then he goes on to say hey the only way we're going to beat this is with a mask a mask is the only thing that's going to beat this and you know the the telltale quote was the coaches can't be the ones that remind you to wear your mask all the time you know there has to be accountability within the roster to other members of the roster here you know it has to be a player-led player-followed directive it can't we can't hold your hand on this uh, and, you know, I think you look, you come to the conclusion that that did not happen. You know, in the statements that Notre Dame has put out post Duke and immediately post USF, they were they were clear that the players that had tested positive or were in contact tracing did not play in the game. The statement they put out yesterday, I believe, did not include that. Um, so did Notre Dame end up having to or choose to play a player that that ultimately tested positive we don't really have a hard and fast answer on that but the way usf has behaved uh with having to contact trace off film of the game it's certainly uh an open question right now that sounds like a fun job huh reviewing game tape and determining uh this is what i got from usf last night was they have a very low number of positives from those wednesday tests and i believe they're still testing some more and still waiting on some results from those tests but they don't know and can't be sure or really ever know, I think, 
if those positives had come from the Notre Dame game. Uh, they had players sit for contact trace after the Notre Dame game. They received a list of the positive. I, I mean, based on this information, it sure as hell sounds like Notre Dame played players who had positive tests because USF had received a list of the ND players who tested positive and then went back and saw face-to-face right. contact. If they weren't at the game, you wouldn't yes. have to contact trace They that. saw face-to-face <clears throat> contact through the film how long they were engaged, how many times they came into contact. Um, and then there's, of course, and this is probably what got Notre Dame, is the, the worry of the incubation period. Um, you know, there's still fear, at least in the USF, that um, they could have positive show up Friday or next week or, or, or what have you, um, which is why uh, the contact tracing has been longer than the isolation period throughout the country as far as, you know, why you only out 10 games if you have it, for t- or 10 days if you have it, mm-hmm. why are you only out 14 days um, if you don't have it. Uh, that's the reason why. There, there's, you know, a very wide span of the incubation period. So, uh, yeah, it just, it, you watch if you watch Brian Kelly's speech, you know, after the game live, you think, all right, there's a coach being proactive. There's a coach who, as he pretty much alluded to in his pro- post-game press conference, got some not great news Not bef- just shortly before kickoff about guys he'd be down and wants to make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, but you watch it with hindsight and with knowing what has happened in the days since, and it's like, what, what were you guys doing the week before? Like, like how, how does this happen? Yeah, I mean, that's tough because – you're, I mean, you're right. Notre Dame was sort of held up as a model of like how to do this correctly. And, you know, I don't know if that's players sort of letting their guard down or, or going out or behaving as college kids are wont to do. But this, this season was only going to work if college football players didn't act like college football players on the weekends. The same way this semester was only going to work if college students didn't act like college students on the weekend. And I think that's the most concerning thing to me is like, the divergent path that suddenly we're on that Notre Dame as a university Mm -hmm. does have this figured out. Notre Dame as a football program suddenly does not, you know, and we were sitting here in August and you're reading statements from the football players. We want to play, wear your mask. Let's be responsible. We're all in this together. You know, now if you're a Notre Dame student who's been minding his or her business and you see this is happening with a football program, you know, it's it's suddenly is save our season has turned into save our semester, um, and that that I think is is maddening and frustrating for Notre Dame from a university perspective that the football program is is suddenly not um, not the model everyone is following. It's it's you know exam it's a cautionary tale of behaviors to avoid. Well, even in uh, I think it'd be irresponsible to to speculate on how this might have spread or, or what players did or didn't do, but. I just don't know how there aren't protocols and procedures in place at uh, an institution like Notre Dame to stomp this out when it does happen um, and to make sure that uh, you're not playing players who are positive or, or, or who should not be playing due to contact tracing. I mean, we're waiting on an official update from Notre Dame as far as you know what their last testing results were. We can you know, put two and two together through the dashboard, but... You know, are they going to be playing against Florida State October 10th? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, now it's – I think you sort of have to look at the dashboard, and if it if it means what we think that it means, that they've had another round of positives, which means another round of contact tracing, then you test again on Friday. Eventually you have to have a test that's all clear. Um, you know, and that was when the discussion of rescheduling Wake Forest was going on, 
yesterday or, or two days ago. I mean, it, it's hard to keep time <laughs> right. straight. It was never a question of, well, should they play October 3rd or should they should they not? It was just a, it was purely a matter of you have to get to the bottom of this cluster or outbreak now. And then once you know how big it is or how deep it goes, then you can decide moving forward. If Friday rolls around and you look at the dashboard on Saturday and the surveillance testing is another six, seven, eight positives and it's not contained, then then I think Florida State is a real concern because um, at that point, your guys will not be able to practice pretty much the entire week of Florida State prep if you're in contact tracing. And if you're positive, you would miss maybe the heavy lifting of Tuesday. It's, um, it's a bit of a, it's a dicey situation right now for Notre Dame. I don't, you know, I do want to, I, I think this has to be entered into the record as just sort of Jack Swarbrick in his editorial in the Washington, in the Wall Street Journal acknowledged that there was a risk of playing football this year you know this is and this is the downside of that risk so it's i don't think that notre dame went into the season with uh anything but eyes wide open that this this could happen uh i'm surprised that it happened as quickly as it did and i'm surprised it is happening with the speed it's happening but i i don't want anyone to listen to this podcast and think that notre dame just got was blindsided by this that they were like i can't believe this has happened here they knew this was always a possibility it's just the the speed at which it's happening is the surprise to me. Jeff Scott said uh, he said before this he's that him and Michael Kelly, his athletic director, were were not going to be thrown off by everything. They were preparing for everything, and it was going to be a different season. Today he said, uh, "I told our team we have a different opponent each week, but we have one opponent that's consistent every single day all year, <laughs> and that's COVID." Um, it's one thing to have guys held out in fall camp. It's another when you have to postpone a game, and so. That's a splash of cold water to the face. Um, you know, another thing Jeff had said was essentially uh, the ultimate goal of quarantine and pausing your workouts and postponing a game is to prevent a situation where all of a sudden you wake up the day after the game, you got 14 players that are positive and you're shutting down for two or three weeks. That's why you have contact tracing. And I, I, I don't know if that's what Notre Dame's in the middle of right now. It sounds like that's definitely a possibility. Um, it might not be, you know, but – that dashboard Tuesday or that dashboard was it we were talking about this whatever day they had those extra positives so it would have been Monday did not show up on that dashboard um, yeah until the and day after. I that was confusing as it was happening because those tests happened Monday uh, and Brian Kelly I'm told found out late Monday night um, the results of those tests gotcha so really in Normal circumstance; those should have been up and updated on Tuesday. It was it was a day late opposed to two days late. At first, I think we were a little uncertain, gotcha. like maybe they knew Monday morning and then chose to to wait forty eight hours. I don't think that's true. Um, you know, and yes, Monday or excuse me, Wednesday's tests that were done in I believe in the morning. That data reflects Thursday. Um, you know, a day later, so that's more I think been the norm. I think there was just a. a a glitch in the system on Monday, but it, um, yeah, it's just, a, it's a, it's a troubling, troubling situation for learning football. And, you know, it's, I think it should also be said, look, that this is the reason why the schedule had all these extra bye weeks. So there's a reason why the ACC championship game was December 12th or December 19th, because you might need to play December 12th. Now Notre Dame does, um, against Wake Forest and they still have another bye week in November, uh, to move things around the ACC, you know, I think we all we only think about when you move a game later. We don't think about how you can actually move a game up 
um, the way that I believe Duke, Duke, Duke and, and Virginia uh, play this yeah. weekend. Yeah. But that game was supposed to be November fourteenth. Right. Um, so if Notre, let's just say Notre Dame can't play Florida State uh, for reasons that are Florida State specific. Well, they're, they're down. At least their head coach this week. So yeah. Yeah. Means. Maybe maybe you move up a game from November to the first weekend in October. I don't know. Um, it and ultimately you may get to a point where you just can't play every game. Um, I think that not every team is going to play a full schedule this year. I don't even think you're going to get close to every team playing a full schedule this year. Yeah, that's. I mean, you know, that's the the Big Ten's fault, faulty logic. Nine games in nine weeks, yeah. which I don't know how that's going to happen, even with daily testing. Virginia, like you said, plays Duke uh, this week. It's their first game. It's also the fifth different season opener they've had scheduled. And um, again, it had to get moved up because of all the other postponements that originally in the scenario you had mentioned where you're not moving up games would have left Virginia not playing anything at all until I think October 3rd. So yeah, it's a, it's a dicey situation all around. It's, 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 you know, David Cutcliffe had said as much last week, um, the, the, day before he found out friday night the night before they played at notre dame or their opener that they were going to be playing virginia uh, in two weeks and he didn't want to tell anyone because it's game day it's the first game of the year and the players then find out on their phones at pregame breakfast hey by the way we're playing virginia in a couple weeks and so your next your first three games notre dame uh boston college duke played boston college last week and, and virginia who duke will play this week Duke's first three games will be against opponents playing their first game of the season, uh, which from a football standpoint is, is pretty damn tough. But I, yeah. I mean, that almost takes a backseat to everything else going on right now. It really does. It's and I don't know what your your feeling is talking to people around Notre Dame, but I I think it's just a, an overwhelming amount of frustration that they've got into the situation that they are in right now. Um because they they had this figured out, they had protocols in place, and I you know I'm not sure if this is an issue of protocols not being followed or protocols not adapting to the situation. I mean, as we talked to Brian Kelly and he and he's discussing, you know, you learn something new every day about this. Um, you know, maybe Notre Dame has to move to daily testing. Maybe you have to figure out a way to have all the football players be in singles um, opposed to having roommates because roommates has been the overwhelmingly the biggest issue of contact tracing. Uh, it's not huge off-campus parties that people are at for four hours. It's the fact that you live with somebody who tested positive. So it's, I don't know, it's just a very, very difficult, uh, very difficult situation. I mean, in order to have some good people working on it. Um, I think that their their medical staff, Dr. Lizer, Rob Hunt, are excellent. But um, it's, a, it's an unprecedented situation. You just sort of have to adapt on the fly. I hate, yeah, I mean... I said this, I think, on the last show with, with Mike Norvell tested positive. It's like, well, if the head coach is testing positive, presumably um, that that's a reminder, right, that this isn't a blame game. It's not, oh, hey, you know, a couple guys went out, did something stupid, and now they're out for a week. I mean, I assume the head yeah. coach is not doing that. Him testing positive and not knowing how he tested positive is a reminder that how prevalent um, and omnipresent th- this virus is. So I don't want to get in the blame game. That said, I mean – as you pointed out, the frustration around our, around Notre Dame right now, I mean, it, whatever happened started at Notre Dame. It's not like South Florida is the reason this yeah. happened. It's not like Duke is the reason this happened. Uh, and, and so that's got to be the frustrating part is 
presumably there's a path to playing a full season here if you do everything right. I mean, there, there are fault lines in that logic. There are other teams that could not follow protocols and so forth. But, but to know that something on your end, whether it was an oversight, whether it was lax protocols, whatever it may be, to know that you're, because of you, essentially, you're not playing Wake at least this week. Uh, South Florida and FAU were not playing at least this week. Uh, and FAU also had their game last week get postponed because of Georgia Southern, so that's two in a row uh, now that, that they've lost through no fault of their own. Um, I, I think that that has to add to the, the personal frustration with everything going on right now. It's not it, it's as much in your control as a pandemic can, can humanly be, I guess, right. for lack of a better term. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or, sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com Shamrock and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com Shamrock today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com Shamrock. GetRoman.com Shamrock. Yeah, and I, I think that this is a question that was put to me. Is like, do you think the coaches would treat players differently based on the results of these tests or contact tracing? Um, and I think it, it's important to sort of distinguish. Like, you can get this from going to shop for groceries. You can get this from you know being in the you know buying food at on campus. Um, there are ways to get this that are seemingly unavoidable. But if I was a coach and I found out a player had hosted a party um, or was going out to the bars after the game, especially players who are maybe fringe players or not playing, I would be absolutely livid and that would yes. change my opinion of whether that I'm ever going to play this person or not. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, uh, I never was comfortable with the idea about a month ago as campuses around the country were opening up that – uh, administrators and the adults in charge were, were going to essentially blame college students for acting like college students. And I'm not talking about football here. I'm talking about the general student body. That they were going to say, well, don't screw it up for everyone. It's your fault for, for doing this and for doing that and, uh, you know, what have you. Um, and, you know, some schools went so far as to fine and suspend and expel students who did not follow proper protocols. Um as uncomfortable as I was with the idea of, of making students responsible for the, the cure of this virus, so to speak. Uh, yes, I mean, at a football team, I mean, you screw up at practice, you get punished. You, you, you get in trouble off the field, you get punished. You get suspended. You run gassers, whatever it is. If you hosted a party, and I, I, I have no information here as to how any of this could have spread. But yes, if Brian Kelly were to find out that some of this stemmed from that kind of behavior, uh, I, I, you know. Whatever is legal to do to, to, to punish a player in 2020, 
you have our blessing to do it. Um, uh, yeah, that would be pretty rough. Well, perhaps we should, it would be a good time to pivot yes. to something a little bit more uplifting uh, than COVID-19 and suspension talk uh, and get to our special guest, Brady Quinn. I think you'll enjoy this interview that Matt and I did with uh, the former Notre Dame quarterback and current Fox analyst. So let's get to that. Notre Dame former quarterback, Brady Quinn. All right, we are pleased to welcome a somewhat recurring guest to the Shamrock, Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame quarterback, first-round pick, current Fox analyst on the Big Noon kickoff. And I guess before we get into Notre Dame's uh, offense and Ian Book and offense coordinator Tommy Reese, you guys at uh, the Big Noon kickoff have some experience of having to rearrange schedules. So for people covering Notre Dame, uh, could you give us some advice about how to handle this weekend? (laughs) Oh man, uh, take more yoga classes because you got to be flexible this year. You got to be agile and, and, and flexible to deal with the uh, you know every week the, the coming changes. So uh, this is just kind of the new normal in 2020. I think we've already had to adapt and kind of sacrifice at times some different things. So it, it comes with the territory right now. Uh, but yeah, it's tough. I, I think especially for um, fans and for people who, who you know the players expecting to play, um, it's it's tough. When, uh, when when you have kind of the rub, rug ripped from out underneath you. Just, just to tell you a quick story, Houston was supposed to take on Baylor, and that was going to be our lead-in game. That game was put together. I believe there was an article written on The Athletic. Uh, it was put together about 18 hours, but like a week in advance. Well, <clears throat> Houston was informed basically the day before the game. I mean, their, their equipment truck was there. The players were all excited. Obviously, you know, they had their hotel reservations and everything else. So it was just – it, it, it was a bad scenario, um, but you know, unfortunately, Houston that kind of had to to bite the bullet, uh, just dealing with the outbreak that happened with Baylor. So, I think teams are starting to become more accustomed to it, and I think you know, fans are just gonna have to realize this is kind of part of the new normal, especially if you don't have daily testing, uh, which I think has been one of the reasons why the NFL has been able to get off to a really relatively smooth start. Brady, uh, it's funny you mentioned that. When that game got postponed or canceled, I should say, on that Friday, our managing editor, Dan Uthman, had tweeted something along the lines of, well, this is a great opportunity for the Big Ten and Fox to get together and turn their big new kickoff (laughs) show into a schedule release party. And we kind of laughed thinking, well, Big Ten hasn't been able to move that quickly so far. I don't know if they'll put it together. How fun, scary, and exhilarating was that for you as far as finding out that pretty much everything you prepared for for that show uh, went out the window and you guys were instead going to be basically breaking news and interviewing Ryan Day, James Franklin, Pat Fitzgerald, you name it. Uh, it was it was nuts. Um, and, and because of the schedules involved with some of the coaches, you know, full disclosure, some of the stuff has to be pre-taped. And we actually um, – so I, I landed in L.A., right? I, I take an early Friday morning flight, first flight out to go out, out to L.A., I literally stopped at, to grab you know a quick lunch, and I get an email like Houston Baylor's been canceled. I'm going okay, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how we pivot. And I really got to credit our producers, uh, the job they did, uh, Ken Kamara and Bardia, Shara, Jonathan Kaplan, Scott Wright, all those guys. I mean, they they really did do a good job of, of just pivoting and saying okay, like what what can we get done with a Big Ten release? Because what a lot of people don't realize is, you know. That Friday, we had taped some stuff, um, but we still didn't know. You know, we didn't know if we were going to get the schedule or not. And so we found out first thing Saturday morning. I, I usually get up there oh, on the West Coast about 4 a.m. And so we, we found out going in the first hour of our show. We hadn't rehearsed, hadn't talked about, hadn't met about, and we just went out there and talked. And everyone kind of just relied on what they had 
what knowledge they had previously and what they had researched before the season. And I think I, the only bad thing I'll say that our, our producers put us in a tough spot. They wanted our, our, you know, natural reaction to some of these matchups. And so we didn't get to see the schedule. Like we literally went on live air. We had, we had the schedule, <laughs> but we didn't get to see anything. So they're like, well, give us a reaction. It's like, well, I forget what week one or week two are about. You know, I, I, it's hard to talk <laughs> about what, what week three is going to be. So, um, that that became a little bit um, of a strain, and I think we had to kind of adjust about halfway through the first hour. Dang! Now that would have been the weekend for me to go out and sort of shadow you guys, like I did last <laughs> October. Yes, you would have you would have found that fascinating, just how that all came together, and just everyone kind of saying, "All right, you know, we just this is this is like going into a game and having to change your entire game plan after the first few series, realizing they're not doing anything we thought they were going to do." That was essentially the same thing. Well, with sort of pivoting to Notre Dame a little bit you know we had you on I think after Louisville last year to talk um, sort of about Ian Book's start to the season and I want to get into that but before we talk about Book I was curious two games in having watched Notre Dame having you know knowing offensive corner Tommy Reese well enough that you sort of talked to him even last year about like you know what you could do offensively what you liked what you didn't have you been able to sort of pick up some indications about how the offense is going to be different with Reese calling it. Yeah, I, I think they're they're obviously, and this is kind of easy to tell from the first couple of games, but even in particular versus USF, I mean, they're going to rely on the strengths, going to rely on the run game, uh, and, and I think it's smart in part because look, they know what their identity is. You know, they've got a quarterback who's accurate. He's a good decision maker. He can be a part of the running game too, and they've got. Uh, some guys who are still trying to emerge as their go-to targets on the outside. So um, why not rely on your strengths? You know, you're pumping out NFL offensive linemen every year, NFL tight ends every year. And, and it's getting to the point now we're getting more and more running backs are realizing like, wait, I can go play behind essentially an NFL offensive line in college and behind tight ends that are playing in the NFL in college. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea. And so you see Tyree and, and some of the other, you know, Flemistrovs, had a huge game. He's already been there. Kyron Williams really broke out week one. Uh, but, but I think you're going to see more and more running backs realize, like, wait, maybe this is a great situation to be in at the running back positions. Go to Notre Dame and run by all these NFL offensive linemen in college. And, and I think it's smart. Like, I think the teams in college football right now that know their identity and they know what they are and they know how they can win and just lean on their strengths, those are the ones that I think are most successful. It's one of the reasons why Brian's been so successful uh, and I think Tommy understands that, and I, and I think it's smart. And I think the other thing is, you know, when you look at what's like probably the two biggest concerns you have going into a season where most teams pretty much didn't have a spring, most had limited you know preparation before the season, um, depending on their their training camp schedule. Uh, the two things I, I get most concerned by is offensive line play and tackling. And I, I think if if that's going to be one of your strengths, your offensive line play, could you lean on that? And you just put your thumb and put the pressure on that weak point on every opponent you go up against until they figure out when you, whether or not they can stop it. And then you can rely on Ian to make some clutch plays and, and to have someone emerge as a wide receiver. But really, you know, your tight end group, I think, is one of the strongest in the country. Brady, if you got to know Ian personally at all over the last three or four years, a broader question, just how would you evaluate the way he's played through, through two weeks so far? Yeah, so I've got to know him a little bit. I mean, you know, that, it's always kind of an, an odd question to answer one because, you know, th- these guys are, you know, young men and in college. I'm at such a different point in my life. So it's, it's really more in passing. It's really sending a few text messages here and there and just really encouragement. 
You know, because I think one of the hardest things um, being a Notre Dame quarterback, it's almost like playing quarterback in the NFL is you get to a point where the more you play, instead of people uh, appreciating, you know, what you bring, they more start to kind of knock down what you're not bringing or or other things or, or, you know, compare you to someone else, even though you might not have the same skill set. So, you know, I've just tried to encourage him and I've tried to uh, reinforce the fact that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. You know, and what he's done at Notre Dame already has been remarkable. What he'll, you know, him and this team could do this year, I think, you know, it could be pretty remarkable when it's all said and done. So it's more of that. And I think, you know, if you look at the first two games this year, you know, people are going to be like, oh, what's going on with the passing game? It's like, well, you didn't have as much of an offseason. You know, you lost Chase Claypool. And I don't know if anyone's watched him in the NFL right now. He's going to be a freaking <laughs> star. He's a stud. Um, you know, you, you, you lost your tight end. You, you, you lost, all, you know, these pieces that move on. And it's not easy to continually deal with that change in turnover. I mean, you know, they dealt with it a couple of years ago with Miles Boykin, and now now it became Chase Claypool last year. Now you're looking for, I don't know, maybe it's McKinley. Maybe you know he, he's going to be able to start, you know, step up to be that guy. Uh, maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's Lindsey. But the, the bottom line is continuing to have to start over again, developing that chemistry with with a pass catcher. It's not easy, and especially considering what Lindsey missed the first game. So. Uh, I think he's going to be special. I really do uh, you know, think his speed and his route running ability and all that is going to be a, a game breaker for them. But, um, you know, I just to people, I don't think people realize how hard it is to, you know, develop that and build that. I mean, I remember even going into my senior year when Jeff was off playing baseball, like I was begging him when he could to come back and just give me one day a week where we could run up and down the field, you know, and, and that will kind of be his conditioning. Um, just because he was pitching at that point, but we had run up and down the field, and you know, 100 yards this way, 100 yards that way, 100 yards this way, and we would just practice all the different routes for all those different spots on the field, and we'd just do that maybe you know three, maybe four times if if, if he had the wind to do it, and, and then that would be it. But you know, I, it was important to me to try to continue to keep that that chemistry, that timing, that rhythm with him because I knew how big of a piece he was always going to be. Yeah, maybe this is, this sort of leads into that because I. I'm, I have a hard time sort of understanding like when I watch book play, like, okay, is this a criticism of book or is this a criticism of sort of the guys he's working with? Cause you know, Notre Dame's offense right now, I don't think has like a deep threat. That's going to push an established deep threat. That's going to push the ball vertically. And that's, you know, something that they can develop. But I, when I watch book play, I think some of the accuracy with the short passing game, whether it be thrown off his back foot or just really uh, firing in short passes hot, um, for a guy who's a third-year starting quarterback, that sort of is hard for me to reconcile. I don't know if I'm reading that correctly just as someone who watches the game opposed to having played it, but where, where, what about books play would you point to and be like, I can see this is a chemistry issue where no spring practice, receivers are inexperienced versus like, this is just something where an older quarterback should be playing better. Um, I'm just, I'm not ready to kind of make that determination at all. Like I thought mm-hmm. their first job was really smooth last week, the way they threw the football around. Yeah. I, I think the first game of a season is always tough. And I'll relate back to my senior year in Georgia tech. Now, granted that team ended up being a lot better than I think people gave them credit because um, they ended up playing in the ACC championship game. But, you know, I, I remember just being amped up, juiced up for a night game, you know, in, in Atlanta excuse me, taking on, you know, a, a team that, you know, I think at the time, again, had a guy like Calvin Johnson on it, some other, mm-hmm. you know, players that have gone in the NFL. But, you know, there are some throws I wanted back in that game. And that's natural. I think the first game of the season, especially for these guys when they haven't had as much, you're going to be amped up. 
And so that ball is going to come off your hand hot. And for some of those shorter passes, you know, you're going to feel some of that. So I don't mean to sound like I'm making excuses. I'm just trying to provide more perspective for, I think, the first game of the season, some of just the excitement that comes along with that, sometimes how that impacts your play. Uh, and, and I do think eventually they settled in and they ended up controlling that football game. I think last week was an example of they got off to a, a good start, you know, throwing the football around and, and he had control of the offense. And then they realized, like, well, we don't need to do this. <laughs> like, like, why do we need to show our, our best stuff for our passing offense until someone forces us to? Until, until someone forces us and we feel like maybe even we're at a better point, too, via practice in the passing game. Why, why would we show anything? I mean, they've got a huge matchup November 7th. And at Notre Dame, you never circle any matchups. But that, that's one you know, you pr- you're probably highlighting and you probably are very aware of. So uh, I, I don't know that I'm going to show anything right now if I'm Tommy Reeves uh, before I, I get to some of those tougher matchups when I know I'm going to have to go to some of our best stuff, some of our best passing games. I think that's one of the advantages you have by you know, not having as much uh, transparency with the spring, with training camp and everything else due to COVID. Brady, we touched on this, obviously, from your current day job uh, at the beginning of this, but can you imagine being a player right now and just being in the situation that Ian and the rest of the Notre Dame roster is in right now as far as getting ready for a game Saturday? All right, we find out Tuesday it's postponed. We got to buy the week after. We don't know when we're going to play again. We don't know when we're going to practice again. Uh, you probably can't speak directly to what they're, they're going through right now because this is a, a once-in-a-hundred-year pandemic, but uh, can, can you imagine, at least just from your experiences, how you would handle a situation like this uh, as a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough. And I mean, the closest thing I think I've ever come to is our lockout year back in uh, 20, 2011, um, you know, where we got locked out. We couldn't go to the facilities. Um, I was at the Broncos at the time, and we had set up uh, practices at Valor Christian uh, Academy out there in, in Denver. And we, we basically kind of, you know, found a trainer out there, Lauren Landau, who's one of the best. He's now working out you know, with the Broncos. He's their strength uh, performance coach. And, and a bunch of leaders on the team just kind of got together. And, and I would go over to our quarterback coach's house, Adam Gase, now the head coach of the Jets, and I would go get the installs and everything else. And, you know, it was kind of – it wasn't technically allowed at the time, but, you know, we wanted to prepare for that season. And we felt like it was important as a group of players to, to figure out a way of doing it. So uh, I'm not saying that, you know, these guys need to be going off on their own practicing, but I can tell you right now uh, they can say whatever they want to me, but I would definitely be hitting up Samarja, Renan McKnight, or – Marie Stovall and you know those guys are saying, "Hey, let's go out and throw some routes in there." All that you're not quarantined. You don't have you don't have like let's figure out a solution or a way to keep practicing and get ready for whatever that next moment is. Um, that that was just how I always looked at it. So um, it, you know, I, I think the toughest thing is just the uncertainty and the mental strain that it takes. You know, the, these guys are stressed already because of how their personal lives are. I think we all can relate to that. And, and now even more so because you're trying to get yourself mentally prepared and amped up and then it gets canceled and then, and then you don't really know. And so I think that's the hard thing is, you know, it's hard to keep, you know, those, those blinders on and continue to keep doing what you're doing um, and, and, and following the rules and, follow, and making sure you're not putting your team or other players at risk. It's hard to do that consistently as a 18 to 22-year-old, right? Uh, so I, I think that's one of the hardest things that, like, people – you know, probably don't realize how, how tough it is, especially at a school like Notre Dame where, you know, football's the thing. And everyone's looking to say hello and uh, have fun and go to parties and that kind of thing after you have a, a big win over a school like USF last week. What about, like, I was curious from, a like, a training perspective, forget, like, the practice and the install. Like, 
right now the Goog is closed. Like they can't go lift there. They can't go train there. In season, how how much of a negative impact is that going to have? Yeah, I mean, I think from an injury standpoint, that, that's where you're most concerned. And that, that's why I hate the fact that they've got to close everything down like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, only because, you know, you, you obviously, there's a risk with COVID, but there's also a risk of a, a player, you know, not preparing their soft tissue, you know, for what's going to come once they get into a real game and that sort of intensity. So uh, I think the way I, I would have been around that is I would have a key and I'd, I'd try to slip in there <laughs> and work out if I could, or, or I'd have a private gym owner that I had a relationship with. Uh, where I know I could go and work out or, or find access to something. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, my philosophy with all this is obviously you want to make sure you're operating in a safe manner if you're doing those sorts of things, but you've sacrificed too much. You've prepared your entire life for this. Um, and so nothing's going to get in the way of, of your preparation to make sure when the lights go on, when you do play the next game, you're ready. Looking back a, a little bit briefly here, I'm just curious, uh, given your experience, what was it like to see Charlie Weiss Jr. coaching uh, at Notre Dame uh, so so soon and doing it as a play caller? Well, I think it speaks to just you know his his tra- you know track record and in his career path, you know, and, and just from him being down with FAU, I, I sat in, spent some time with some meetings and all that, and, and look, he knows ball. You know, he's he's a chip off the old block. He's got a strong mind for understanding you know play calling and weaknesses of defenses and what he wants to attack and how to utilize his personnel, um, you know, and that helps when you grow up with a dad who is extremely successful in it and you, and you kind of follow in his footsteps. And I think the cool thing about Charlie Jr. is as, as much as obviously you're going to remember the Weiss name for his dad and his dad's success, uh, especially winning, you know, three Super Bowls with the New England Patriots, but you also, you know, he also wants to be his own man. And he's also kind of branched off where, He's, he's kind of followed some different characters, right? I mean, Lane Kiffin, you know, it's like you know, he's got some other guys he's kind of, you know, been involved with and, you know, and, and he's kind of, you know, gone to or been around, I should say. And, and, and now he ends up following, you know, the OC with Jeff Scott from, from Clemson. And that, and that was an interesting way of how it worked out because, you know, he was pretty high up on, on Jeff's list. And so it's, it's got to be a flattering thing when you've got a guy who's been so successful during his time at Clemson. Uh, to to want to bring you in, especially at his age. So uh, it, it's just it's, again, it's a testament to his, his hard work and his upbringing. Obviously, uh, he was trained in the proper way, and just the coaching that he's gotten from his dad. But I think also just what he's put into it and how he's put his own spin on it. Yeah, it's, having spent some time with Charlie Junior down in Tampa in in the winter, I was interested to sort of hear about that that element of like following different characters and talking to him, I felt like I was talking to somebody from the Clemson tree of coaches opposed to the Belichick tree of coaches, if that makes any sense. Like just his personality and, and character seemed much more towards Dabo Swinney than, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily know that his last name was Weiss just based on how he carries himself and, you know, his, his vocabulary, so to speak. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I think he's, he's you know, he's, he's seen it done different ways. And I think the other thing is, it's not only that he's seen it done, you know, different ways. And as I said before, he's kind of his own man, but mm. I think 2020 it's different when you're working with college students and you're recruiting and all of that. I mean, I have these conversations with urban Meyer all the time and, you know, Mickey Marotti, who's their strength coach, who was our strength coach back in Notre Dame. You know, kids are just different now. You know, you can't, you can't be as hard on them. You can't treat them the same way. Um, you know, that was like a motivating thing for me back in the day. I'm sure a bunch of other guys too. You know, we liked that. Like, we encouraged, you know, being pushed and being strained and all that stuff. Like, I, I don't 
I think some of the kids do, but I don't. I don't think the majority of them do anymore. And so I just think it's different. You got to adapt as a coach, and and you got to figure out a way of how to kind of hone in on getting the most out of these players anymore. So I think it's smart that he's he's been able to be around enough people too, where he's he started to adapt on you know what he needs to do in order to be successful. Uh, I think at this stage as a college coach. Brady, one more, and we'll let you get out of here. Appreciate the time. Uh, not going to put you on the spot. Not going to ask you to make a hot take, but I am curious. Notre Dame will beat Clemson if they do what? Man, well, I think they got to be able to run the football effectively, uh, just because that that seems to be something that I, I think they can do versus Clemson's front, even though they're talented. That's a young group, um, and, and I think they obviously can't. You know, you can't make any mistakes. Can't turn the football over. I think Ian's going to have to play a clean game in that regard. Uh, but but I, I think if they run the football and, he, and he's obviously a part of that, I think that's where versus that offense with with Trevor because he is so talented. I mean he, he really is a special special player. I think you shorten the game, um, you you try to frustrate them by controlling the clock, controlling the pace of the game. You run the football, you wear them down, and I think if they play mistake free, they can move the football, they can make some plays on that defense. So. I think I think those two things are obviously the most important for them in order to be successful. All right, Brady, thanks for uh, joining us here on the Shamrock. Good luck. Hopefully, your uh, your noon game will sick this weekend. It's Oklahoma, Kansas State, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, and no, it, uh, you won't have be. to should be. Yeah, you don't have to be uh, stuck in the studio auto bowling with uh, Bruce Feldman all for two hours on Saturday. So it, uh... <laughs> hey, he he handled it well too. So I uh, got to give Bruce <laughs> a lot of credit. So he he, he does yoga in his spare time. You did a really good job of trying to get away from him in the studio for a year, only for him to follow you there this year. So we appreciate the effort. I know. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Brady Quinn. Uh, thanks for joining us here on The Shamrock. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Go Irish. Last week is in the books. Now it's time to review the tape and prepare for this week. There is no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To add to this week's excitement, DraftKings has a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs. If you haven't tried DraftKings yet, head to the app now because you don't want to miss this. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, every pass, every catch means more with DraftKings. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching the game quite like having a shot at millions of dollars in prizes. DraftKings has paid out billions of dollars to winners since 2012, so they know a thing or two about cold, hard cash. Download the DraftKings app now and use the code MAZE. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes this week. Don't miss out on the week three action. Enter code MAZE, that's M-A-Y-S, to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes with your first deposit. That's code MAZE, only at DraftKings, make it rain, Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, we are back. That was former Notre Dame quarterback Brady Quinn. I don't Matt, what was your uh, your takeaway? There was a lot of interesting stuff in there from uh, his current role at Fox, but also sort of looking at Notre Dame's offense uh, and a little bit about offense coordinator Tommy Reese. Always an enlightening conversation. Always an enlightening guy to listen to. Um, on Fox, whether it's on a game broadcast or in the studio, where it's in some cases, I just feel like that big new kickoff show is 
him, Reggie, and Matt Liner just trolling each other over the USC Notre Dame rivalry, <laughs> and then Urban Meyer just figuring out ways he can rag all over Michigan uh, whenever given the opportunity there. But no, I appreciated Brady's uh, the conversation with Brady. Uh, he, he said what you know, I think a lot of us have, have expected, which is uh, it, it's really tough to expect. Uh, a quarterback, regardless of experience, to be on his A game the first two weeks without any receivers that he probably has any real experience with on top of uh, having not had spring practice or anything resembling a typical offseason throughout that. Obviously, Ben Eskranek, as you mentioned, had gone out there to to work out with with Ian Book, but he's not playing right now. Um, It's a lot of unfamiliar faces, uh, and that has contributed to, I think, a little bit of the slow start. Yeah, I, I thought the the anecdote about Jeff Samarja was awesome. About essentially begging him to come back to to just give me give me ten <laughs> minutes. We can throw up and down the field just so you could sort of get like, okay, this is how I want to throw the fade. This is how I want to throw the dig. This is how I want to throw the post. Um, that part I thought was really interesting. And that's, I mean, you do sort of forget that's that's all stuff that Ian didn't get this summer um in so many instances you know other than you know skoranek going out to california that's probably why it's so significant aside from being interesting it's just hey it um you need sort of those reps you can't cheat that you can't create that um other than by working at it and Notre Dame didn't have an opportunity to work at that i i am you know sort of interested i i've sort of phrased the question this way about you know ian book is in that short passing game, he, he certainly rockets a lot of stuff off now in a way that I, I don't feel like he did uh, when he got into the game at Wake Forest a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, maybe something that that's just sort of settles down. Brady talked about, you know, being amped up. That's I think sometimes we forget that, you know, these college football players are not robots, that they have to sort of manage their emotions and all that stuff as well. So that that, that I thought was sort of an interesting part of it. I do think it was telling, and not surprising based on what we've seen from two weeks, but it was telling that uh, when we asked him, you know, Notre Dame has a chance to beat Clemson if they do what? And it was basically control the clock, rely on that run game and that big offensive line. Um, the fact that, you know, someone is a – forget me and you saying it. Forget, some, you know, someone as big as Brady Quinn saying that after two weeks of this season for Notre Dame um, is – I think that's – a very uh, positive turn of events because we entered the season like we have many others uh, questioning whether Notre Dame would be able to run the ball, whether they had those elite game-changing running backs that they always seem to lack compared to their peers who they're competing with for a college playoff berth every year. Uh, for, for, for Brady to say that this is how they can beat Clemson uh, by shortening the game and doing that um, – that's good because I think in some ways that you know one of our biggest questions about this team has been answered through two games. Now there are a whole set of other questions that we have, but um, the, the the narrative on Notre Dame's offense turning so quickly um, from one strength to one weakness, from one weakness to one strength, um, I think that's good because it sounds like you've at least on your way to, towards solving one problem, uh, and you have plenty of time to work on the other. I, you know, I think the other thing that struck me um about what brady said that was was super interesting was when we were asking about you know getting back into finding a rhythm and an identity and uh he's talking about you know what what do you what are the most important things or what do you lose most by not practicing or not having full contact you know offensive line cohesion and tackling and while it was obvious to anyone who's been around Notre Dame that 
offensive line cohesion was not going to be a problem for Notre Dame. I didn't think about that as it's a positive that you can accentuate somebody else's negative Mm -hmm. with, where if you're running the ball a lot, you're making them tackle more and you're putting them in positions to miss tackles by running it 45, 50 times a game. Um, so I, that was, I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic. I didn't, I didn't think about how um, you know, the pandemic has affected preseason preparations and how Notre Dame's offensive line cohesion might be. A, it's not just about having a good running game. It's also the fact that your opponents are not going to tackle very well. Right, right. I didn't think about it from the defensive uh, end of things either. I mean, Jeff, Jeff Scott was, uh, when he wasn't talking about his team's potential outbreaks, he was talking about how poor his team tackled last week against Notre Dame. And obviously that was nowhere near the difference between uh, victory or defeat. But especially with a new staff that didn't have an offseason, going against a pretty uh, cohesive staff with a lot of known quantities on that roster, that's where you see the biggest differences. That's why... I think a lot of us were so high on Notre Dame. I think that's why Brian Kelly, anytime he addressed us preseason, was we know what the depth chart is. I feel comfortable about this team. There aren't a whole lot of questions that jump out at me right now as far as what are we going to find out about ourselves. And throughout the course of the season, especially this season, there are going to be things here and there. But um, I think that's the benefit of having an uh, 11th-year head coach, uh, five returning starters on offensive line, a three-year starter, a quarterback, and even with a new offense coordinator, a guy who's played in that system and has been on that staff going into his fourth year now. So that eliminates a lot of the uh, peripheral, external concerns that can happen when people aren't familiar with each other mm-hmm. as well as Notre Dame has, uh, despite not practicing for nine months. All right, well, let's wrap up on this. What the heck are you going to do this weekend? SCC, baby. I got to yeah. Watch Alabama, <laughs> Missouri, and, and Tennessee, South Carolina, and – Big boy football. I mean, look, from a a pure couch surfing, channel surfing weekend, this week's better than last week, even without Notre Dame. I mean, there just was nothing last week. There was that Notre Dame-USF game. Uh, Clemson was playing the Citadel at the same time, and then there was the Miami-Louisville game at night. Uh, This week should be much, much better. Um, I'm curious to see what Florida State looks like in a rivalry game without a head coach. Um, I wonder if we get... Hugh Freeze-esque live shots into the the Norvell bedroom in Tallahassee, Florida after every big play, good or bad. Um, That's an interesting thing that's never happened before, at least in the COVID era. But um, I'll be watching a lot of football. I mean, there's still – I mean, with the SEC back especially, there are more good games uh, this week than there have been in any other week so far. Yeah, I mean, there's actually a top 25 game at noon, Auburn-Kentucky. So yeah, you know, I guess Lu- yeah, I guess Louisville Pittsburgh is a top twenty-five game, yeah. also at noon. Um, Army Cincinnati is a top twenty-five game. If you ever thought that that we could live in a world where that was true, but uh, yeah, I'll be apple picking in the morning. Re- um, For real, or are you loading just... up on? Yeah, loading up on Honeycrisps uh, with my kids. So that will uh, it's a, it's a rare Saturday morning I, where I can do that. Without I've having never done that in my life. Bucks. Now that I have a family, they're trying to get me to do it. It's happening. They, they, yeah, they, you. <laughs> They, you see, when you have a bye week in 2026, you'll be apple picking. Oh, I might be doing it uh, October 10th if that Florida State game gets canceled. But um, <laughs> I, I thought I was being trolled when like, oh, do you want to do this? I'm like, ha, oh, that's funny. It's like what like, those Instagram influencers do, right? They're like, no, no, people do that. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. I'm not one of those people yet. <laughs> it's a, it's the new era of I'm going to go to the Home Depot and Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know if there's enough time. Um, apple picking is the new version of that. 
So uh, we'll be back next week with a singular podcast. I think that seems appropriate since Notre Dame is is off uh, on the October third weekend now. Uh, as and you know, maybe we'll have a little bit more insight into where things are trending with Notre Dame, positively or negatively, uh, heading towards Florida State on October tenth. Um, maybe perhaps we can find another guest to come join on the show um, to give us some more insight on on where things are going as well. So. Matt, unless you have anything else, we'll get out of here. No, we'll... uh, thanks for all the comments and the reviews. Please keep them coming. We have a great uh, Rolodex of potential guests, but if you have any suggestions, please don't be shy. Uh, always trying to get people on the show who uh, uh, bring a different perspective on things and, and give you insight that, that Pete and I are incapable of, like Brady Quinn, two-time <laughs> guest. So please keep them coming. Appreciate all the, the listenership, all the support, and try to have fun this weekend without yeah, football. do your best. Pick some apples, watch some SEC football. That's that's pretty much what's on the agenda for everybody. So until next week, he's Matt, I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock.